bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Welcome to the Weird Things Podcast. I'm Andrew Main, joined by Mr. Brian Brushwick. Hey, oh man, uh, I'm the I'm the man with the plan, and that plan is to sit on his butt and talk to you. And I intend and, to stick to that plan. <laughs> and Mr. Justin Robert Young, who may or may not have a plan. Let's find out. Uh, well, if my plan was to come to you guys live from Charlotte, whoo, North Carolina, then I have succeeded, <laughs> gentlemen. Speaking of plans, it's all going according to plan. I've just sent a video to Brian, and now I'm going to send it to Justin. Mm -hmm. Proof at last of aliens. We know now aliens are real, and uh, apparently they hate the Taliban. (laughs) Okay, this is like double complete headlines here. Are you kidding me? Uh, As I click on it, it says here, UFO attacks Taliban camp with not one, not two, but three uh, exclamation points. Yeah, man. March 2014, uh, Afghanistan, Asadabad District, mysterious UFO attacks Taliban camp. See how U.S. Marines filmed the explosion. Let me, let me, uh, all right, I'm waiting for the. So we, we see, you know, it looks like, you know, maybe it's in Afghanistan. I don't know. There's a tank on a road, and the far off in the distance, there's trees, and there's some strange shape. Yeah, it hovering. All. It's just sort of hovering, hovering up and down and left. Now it's flashing. Oh my god. Huge explosion, folks. Huge explosion. Ridiculously huge explosion. It really does look straight out of a movie. This is amazing. All right, is there anything more we're going to see on this? Watch. Well, just keep watching. It'll, uh, okay. you're, you're watching the smoke cloud move away from the explosion. And by inside. the way, the smoke cloud is like the size of a, of a skyscraper. It's like all re- like it instantly exploded and went a a 20-story building tall column. So we're getting a, a close-up shot of what looks like this triangular-shaped thing hovering and sort of rotating as it does so. And it looks it looks like it's got like a like a, a circular center almost like the the ship from cosmos <laughs> except yeah no, it, yeah it looks like it has like a bump in the middle and then kind of like a tri-corner design uh but it it, it appears to be kind of hovering in in place uh moving very slowly see so I, go for it uh, well I, I just want to see that explosion one more time when you look at it you see because right before stuff starts exploding you see this thing hovering there, and then it just looks like it's flickering a light, like it's doing a hi, how's it going in Morse code to you. And then all of a sudden the world blows up. It's ridiculous. All right, so uh, I'm going to bet that we should surrender now to our alien overlords. Well, are you Taliban? Is that why you're surrendering, Brian? Uh, yeah, it seems like they're, they're really just PO'd at the old Taliban. Uh, well, it's a good time to not be a Taliban. <laughs> so do they say what this is in the description? I assume that this is a known military vehicle and somebody was being coy on the headline for it, right? Um, uh, some people have said that it looks similar to... Uh, I forget, like a uh, one of the one of the the UV vehicles that we have, one of the weaponized drones. Um, and there's been stuff we've shot, like there's some footage I think from Texas and stuff of triangular shaped stuff flying overhead at high speeds that we think is aircraft. Wait um, a minute, Wait, do they do that? Do they do they deploy completely still? Cla- I guess they do. They would deploy a completely still classified, unrevealed aircraft into the the combat theater, right? Look at me. I sound yes, like I know what I'm talking about. Trying, when we went and got Osama bin Laden. <laughs> yeah. Well, touche. Uh, we normally, yeah, it's like we 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 reveal this stuff, you know, use often when we have no other choice. So, like, that was a case of a stealth helicopter, which I don't think we've even officially acknowledged. Um, you know, special rotor designs, things like that. So, uh, this made the rounds, million and a half views, and it's... 
it's fascinating because it's at that area of where we know we have drones, we know we use them in warfare, we know we have things that hover, we know we have that. Um, it's a fake. Um, yeah. When you look at that close-up shot, the insert shot where they do the zoom in, it looks good until you see that part because that's when you start to see sort of the artifacting. Yeah. With, with the, the, thing, the thing about I, – I didn't mind the artifacting. I'd be willing to suspend my disbelief because for an, for an up-close thing like this, oftentimes you'll have like image stabilization or something that will mm-hmm. kind of create artifacting. But, but you just say it's full-on just rendered on there altogether. Well, that was, that was when – when I watched it up until they did the insert shot, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like, I was like, yeah, this could be, you know, wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. We have some crazy things, you know, could do this stuff. And then when they did the insert shot, and then looking at that, I'm like, oh, this is where it starts to. It's not, it's not like compression. It just, it's like a digital zoom into a digital object. And it's been broken down now. The footage was actually from the explosion of a car bomb facility in Iraq back in like 2004 or something like that. And so we know what it was. They took the image, they flipped the video, then they inserted this over there. The guy who has this footage has uh, Section 51 on YouTube. Yeah, Section 51 uh, on YouTube is, is the name of it. Uh, yeah. It sits around making fake footage all day long, taking oh, this <laughs> footage and inserting. That's amazing. So, like, is, is his point to, to kind of just do these fake things and just see how they, how they go? Or, like, is that his, like, is, is, is that his art? Well, it says here in his description, it says, furthering the public's interest in the UFO and the paranormal causes, exposing the reality of UFOs. We call that kind of event UFOs because we're totally blah, 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 blah. Like, I think this is one of those, I know that UFOs are real and not enough people believe them. So to get more people believing in them, I'll make some fake ones, but that'll just help to highlight how real the real UFOs are, if I was going to guess. That's a... That's a dubious way of looking at things. <laughs> <laughs> well, we see that we see that from like mind readers and mentalists uh, who, uh, you know, like uh, you know, like, uh, certain spoon bending Israelis <laughs> have said that uh, that they have real powers, but they need to underscore the importance of the real powers by putting a little bit of showmanship into it. Yeah. Um, There's a, a- another another one he's done. Um, let me click through here. Uh, <laughs> Let me show you this one. This is awesome. I'll send this to you, Brian. All right. Um, as if you had any doubt about this. Uh, all right. Here we go. I'm opening to the and, next and, one. And here, as as Brian opens this, like, really, like, where is, is like, like, intent is so much of this? Because if this dude was just like, hey, listen, I love these things. I, uh, I'm fascinated by how we react to these things as a people. I'm going to make these videos because they, like, they're something that I like to do. And also, I'm curious to see what the reactions. I think like we would raise him up as as a hero of this show because that's so much of what we're fascinated with. Right, but instead, like uh, like like selling a line just feels so uh, I don't know, so filthy. I guess. Um, all right, so this one's labeled UFO contact in Afghanistan 2013 with again. I think we have another clue here. Three exclamation points. <laughs> Very close with Marines. So we see a, uh, a Marine sitting on the side of a helicopter looking out. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's, a, uh, it's a little over the top. It's a, it's a bit sci-fi-ish. Looks uh, kind of like the one of the spaceships from the Fifth Element. Yeah, or, or maybe like a Firefly class starship. It feels very District yeah. Nine. It has like <laughs> it has like the little like 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 the scarab kind of design there with the uh, with the big button and the and the fins hanging out. That's uh, uh, I'm going to go out on the limb and say that's not real, guys. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think you're just denying what's obvious right in front of us. Uh, here's uh, this, is, this is maybe my new favorite. Um, not at all subtle. <laughs> I love the fact, like, normally Andrew's very focused on moving the show forward, but it's a testament to these videos. By the way, all of them at Section 51 on YouTube, that uh, that it short-circuited his desire to move everything forward. I, 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 think, I think we've seen the most absurd, and then all of a sudden I see an even more absurd one. All right, this one is, again, three exclamation points. They fight a gigantic UFO in Afghanistan. Intense. <laughs> 
We see weapons firing. We see. Oh, jeez. <laughs> basically, a star destroyer. Putting <laughs> 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 over the mountains. That's amazing. <laughs> oh man. Like to illustrate, this is like like the, that that third season of Battlestar Galactica, where where you know they're they're coming in over like the desert the, town. Yeah, the uh, uh, oh, what, what do they call the um, the big ships in Battlestar Galactica? Uh, something. Uh, Battlestars. No, 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 no. Well, I mean that those were the uh, you're right. Those were the humans' good ships, but they had cool names for the oh, uh, the, the base stars. The, uh, base stars. That's what they were. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah. No. This is. Uh, I mean, but like, but but imagine. I mean, like, is there a way that we can, like, that we can love these for why we would love them if his intent was different? I well, guess I mean, that's I, my question. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is like, if you're a natural artist, let's say, let's say, uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's like judging modern art. You could look at it and say, well, my kid could do that. Uh, but if your kid did it, then it wouldn't mean the same thing as if Jackson Pollock did it. You know? I mean, does it make it better? Does well, how much is intention a part of this? And and how much is is do we always separate the art from the artist? I mean, like we love the work of Sean Connery, and we kind of you know uh, we we love his art, and we kind of sweep under the rug the fact that he like has said that uh, you know sometimes women need a good slapping. <laughs> yes. Uh I mean, well, first of all, I don't think either of these really apply because um, uh, because some of these are not so believable. <laughs> Like if he was a true artisan of fakery that 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 yeah. could make stuff, I, I think part one of the skills you need to be a good hoax artist is to is to plant that hoax exactly in that soft squishy part between you know between plausibility and and idiocy, you know. But what what if it's not a hoax? What if he just really likes finding these like because he needs a specific kind of footage of combat footage? He's trolling around the internet to find these like clean plates that he can put. His his stamp on top of, and then he's finding uh, either you know uh, uh, CGI from from like you know some uh, re- repository where you can buy these spaceships to overlay. Like I don't know. There's there's a part of this to me that like if he's just doing the the silly ones that we enjoy, and it's not necessarily the ones that make the rounds as like OMG proof. Like there's a part of it to me that I really kind of love. I just love the fact that that's what that's what this guy's pleasure is in life. I mean. I guess I guess I'm 100 percent on board as long as this guy's 13. Then I think it's adorable. <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> let me play devil's advocate here. Go ahead, aliens advocate. Maybe this is a disinformation campaign. You thought about that? <laughs> maybe maybe false flag operation. Maybe what they do is maybe he, this guy has the real footage, but they have like highly paid government 3D artists that intentionally crapify. All of the footage to make it look discredited. They painted out the original aliens. <laughs> and then they, guys, they just and add them. artifacting and bad, uh, you know, Gaussian blurs and shadows and stuff. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Hey, um, man, you don't know. You don't know, man. And that's that's the far, that's the disturbing part is that you know there are people out there that will. Well, they're like, well, yeah, but some of it's real. Yeah, some of these are real. You know. I mean, but that's the funny part. Like, uh, this is that that whole spectrum argument. You know, people are like, "Are there such things as UFOs?" It's like, well, yes. By the definition, there are things that are flying that are objects that are unidentified. You know, and so, like in that regard, everyone could agree. But then, like, what? And and we know for a fact that there's military spacecraft and people farting around with the express interest of messing with other people or or testing their their bizarre amazing spacecraft so in that regard also yes we know they're real or whatever but then you know beyond that it gets a little kooky and implausible if you understand the vast astonishing dif- distances in the galaxy well that I mean, you just get you get let lazy thinking as you said you know you're like yes ufos unidentified flying objects are real and there's that if you get the people like well ufos if they are real then flying saucers are real and they don't they don't really apply logic to sort of break these things down and that's the problem we, okay let's play of, okay let's let's play this game okay let's say all ufos are real let's uh-huh. say that uh you're not allowed to write them off as man-made uh, as as currently man-made objects if we are visited and and something like this experience right let's say this was true archival footage given what you know 
in in your vast uh, scientific enthusiasm, is it more likely that they are actually traveling from other stars? Is it more likely that they are porting in from other realities? Is it more likely that they're time-traveling humans? What would the most likely scenario be to create the, the things that we just saw? First one. The uh, traveling distance from stars? Yeah. Just, just because it's a known technology and all you got to do is Newtonian because physics? You gave me one time traveling, which I would consider physically impossible. And then you gave me one traveling between you know, realms, which I have no basis in science to understand that. So uh, that leaves, however unlikely to me. Yeah. What's your vote, Justin? I mean, and by the way, those aren't just the three only options. <laughs> you can you can come up with one that actually makes sense. Uh, no, I mean, I would say because at that point, how much different would it be than like you know ships? Uh, if you were a Native American, you know, a Viking ship landing and and people coming in, like uh, it would it would be a, a foreign you know concept and would kind of bend your reality and expand what you thought the universe was. So it's like. I can see that. I mean, we know far more, uh, I think, than than a Native American tribe would have known about, you know, a, a a Viking tribe coming in. But that at least, like like Andrew said, that that seems more plausible. Now, in terms of what I would want, uh, I would definitely want uh, other realities. <laughs> like that would be that would be by, by far the most interesting if we are looking at just science fiction conceits. Um, I. And I'll add it too. It's like I am one of you know I'm one of the people that I think that it is. I think it is highly likely we are the only intelligent life around. Um, and now when you say around, you, know, you mean though, in the entire universe, or just in our galaxy, or or in the galaxy? You know, I, I mean, it's hard to figure out the odds for that. But you know, there's a uh, Matt Ridley. I just sent you a thing before we started this, and he covers a book that just came out, and it explains just really how particular our planet is with the size of our moon and how much that has probably affected weather over the last several billion years and prevented us from becoming completely frozen over, completely too hot, and given us longer time to develop intelligent life. And as we find more and more planets out there, we're not finding any evidence so far of the same sort of stable system that we have, our you know, planetary arrangements. And, and it gets into like just how particular, just a slightly... The size difference in our moon would have radically affected our weather, etc. Well, and and uh, for, uh, first of all, uh, the moment you sent that over, I went ahead and bought that book on Audible, uh, <laughs> which I'm very excited to 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 read. But but they even he even makes points that even in our own solar system, we can't find you know we both Venus and Mars at various points were extremely Earth like, and both of them though found stasis. It turns out that that having a a temperature that's consistent like we have is is not a common thing for very long it's 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 i guess you know even if it's a common experience it doesn't stay there very long before it finds a a, a better homeostatic situation now, yeah and the plant the book is called lucky planet now the caveat there you know we'll put in is that you know we're we're still trying to understand life as we understand it and recognize it you know, we may go to Europa and find shrimp or light creatures or other things underneath there. And that may imply that given long enough time that you're going to get intelligent life. And, you know, we want to avoid, you know, being too particular or narrow in how we see life. But when we talk about intelligent life, you know, that's when it gets to be, you know, my, my question has always been that, you know, you look at the six billion year history of our planet and we only have evidence of intelligent life for just a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the history of our planet. Do you, do you know why I don't get bummed so. at all about the idea of being the only intelligent life in the universe is – and weirdly, it makes me uh, – did, did you guys watch Star Trek The Next Generation, right? Yes. Okay. Dude, manifest destiny. So exactly. There mm -hmm. was there was this arc like, I don't know, like uh, six seasons in where they're like, hey, you notice that all the aliens pretty much look the same just with different foreheads? I wonder why that is. And then they found out that there was a precursor race that seeded the galaxy with what came to be all the various rich cultures and aliens throughout everywhere. Like that just means we get to be that. That means that means it's our job. It really is our responsibility to to go out and get the hell out of this petri dish and and spread throughout the stars. Yeah, we might be sending probes to other planets with artificial life that then, you know, a million years from now becomes its own stuff. I mean, yeah, I. Wait, is that a V'ger reference? 
What's that? Is that a V'ger reference? That no, you're, no, no, oh, no. Okay. I was thinking more terraforming things like that. Oh, the yeah, idea yeah, yeah. Of, the, You know, engineering things to live elsewhere, and you know, we could we could spawn life in the rest of the universe by creating things that can adapt or stabilize these planets and stuff, and you know, could be the precursors. Would you be upset if if we were the precursors and we spread throughout the stars, but the way we did it was by uh, creating artificially intelligent, self-improving robots? That just like 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 basically they were our children or they had our personalities or, you know, we raised them as ours. And, and really the stars are for them because they're hardened and we're just soft, soft, squishy monkeys instead. Like, would that bum you out? That Does that feel like a cheat? Like it, it doesn't count for us spreading throughout the stars? Not at all. You, you, I think that- so you wouldn't mind if, if our biological bodies all died here on Earth, but our, our robot children went forever. Well, if you put it that way. Uh, well, I, for one, Brian, do not appreciate these <laughs> robot people running around trying to take over what we worked hard for, Brian. <clears throat> trying to sneak oh. across our borders, yeah. stealing our motor oil. I mean, if we went back in time 100,000 years ago and met one of our ancestors that genetically is just almost you know, indistinct from us, minus, you know, a few genes here and there that we probably acclimated from living in towns and civilizations, you know, they're going to they're gonna come across very different. And we go back 200,000 years before we left Africa, 300,000 years, and, and, you know, looking at, you know, proto-homo sapiens, you know, we're going to encounter people who are very different. And we go back to, you know, even 100,000, 40,000 years ago, we meet some of our Neanderthal ancestors. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we're going to feel pretty alien to them. But... You know, we got their genes. I mean, I guess to them, to them seeing us, we would look pretty much like the Borg, you know, with our weird, you know, constantly looking down at our hand screens and our... I think, I think we're going to look like hairless female children to them. Yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> Except for Justin. Okay, speak for yourself. <laughs> Justin. They see Justin, they're going to be like, my boy, get over here. <laughs> But Justin's going to be like Peter Dinklage to them. <laughs> exactly, I know. Wait, I thought Neanderthals were shorter than. Uh, how? How? I, I thought like we're. Well, they all... were bigger. They were bigger than our contemporaries to that point. But I mean, we're 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 Neanderthal probably height. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it is amazing to think of like where where that next step is going to be for us. But uh, I, I I'm with I'm with Andrew. I just think that like you know there's. For whatever reason, we have kind of stuck around and we've evolved and we've continued to build and, and make ourselves, you know, protect ourselves against the the harsh elements that kind of surround us and conspire to kill us at all times. And like, the, as we move forward, you know, there'll just be new challenges and I think we'll just adapt and continue and, and you know, I, I would, I think it's rad. It, it's like the reason why I, I, I am, I, I hope that we like my my life's goal is just to live past the singularity just be on that one last chopper leaving from from the top of our our humanity's hotel that like there could be elements of me that experience uh you know the, the grand future for the human race I, I tell you what i i don't know why i haven't listened to it again but but there's a big section i reread uh both the rational optimist and uh, uh abundance recently and abundance i was surprised how much more of that book is talking about the singularity than I thought because uh, the, the, the author or the, I don't know, co-authors, whoever was, uh, is involved with the uh, singularity university and uh, in talking about the difference between linear progression versus the, you know, uh, you know, exponential progression. And uh, I, it makes me want very much to read the singularity is near, but I keep being afraid that it's too dated and that I'll think it's silly. Uh, I'm sure you read it, Andrew. Should I? Uh, should you what? Read Sorry. Kurzweil's uh, Singularity is Near, or is, is it too dated um, already? I, I mean, here's, like, I, I've, I've talked about it before on our show, the idea of the pseudo-singularity. The idea that we'll get a lot of really, really cool stuff that'll change the way we look at things. And, and the singularity, and I, I think nobody, even you know, people I know really into singularity, really thinks it's going to happen the way we think that happens. You know, uh, But there certainly are these you know, points where... Long, you know, for me, you know, the, the two biggest things come down to one is creating those, you know, the intelligent systems that get smarter and smarter, or t- and two is the idea of life expectancies increasing faster than we run out of life, and 
neither of those ideas seem very dated. I think that, you know, one of the things when we talk about intelligent life or artificial intelligent life is that we know what it's like to talk to a human, but then you talk to somebody who is, you know, severely autistic or whatever, and this is somebody who has the same capabilities we have, but their communications or something is very, very different. And that might be what artificial intelligence may be like. Yeah. In a sense, you know, it could be like Rain Man and it's, and it's not like, you know, Ultron, you know, so I think it's going to be interesting because I don't, I don't, I think the shape of these things is always hard to tell. We, we have it, we, we take what we have right now and we project it into the future. Which of but, course is idiotic. Yeah, the classic example being, you know, if you ask people, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, what New York City was going to be like with, you know, 10 million people, they'd be all like, ah, so much horse manure. You know, it's like, you yeah. just, you can't, you can't picture all the innovations that come. And, and, you know, take, you know, take our friend Justin here. Okay. Justin's an intelligent human being. And what makes part of his personality is, you know, the, the 30 plus years he's spent on the planet and the experiences he's had interacting with the people and who he is. We, we put him in a box. We give him a very different background or we, we have, you know, Justin was raised in some remote island in Canada, you know, and came down here. He'd be a very different person. Agreed. And, and so when we talk about artificial intelligence, it's this idea, it's, you could program it, but does it have how much of his personality, you know, shapes our interactions? You know, Siri is programmed to say funny things, but Siri really doesn't have a sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, I, I finally saw her this weekend with Bonnie. And I'm finally – because you guys both saw and liked it, right? Mm, yeah. Loved it. Yeah. I uh, is very very sticky. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I love the way it was understated on all the technological side of things, and uh, I loved how how very human uh, people were represented as even in a world where technology you know consumes so much of of their lives. You know the the, the fact that which is which I do think is how it's going to be. We're not going to be Borg because Borg is ugly. We're going to be like very you know, Apple Borg, <laughs> where, you know, I don't know. And, and it's going to be a very humanizing thing. Yeah, I, I absolutely adored that. I thought that was the best movie on the singularity or best story on that I've ever come across. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and the idea, it was, it, it felt you know, very much, we, we, we often talk about like, you know, like where, where the science fiction booms kind of have been in like the, the 50s and 60s and early 70s and how, you know, there were these sticky ideas that made commentary on our modern culture or on the on the the culture of the day as by expanding it into this future element. And this was something that I felt was very like it was a, a commentary on where we are by extrapolating where we would be, you know, and, and from this uh, this you know guy's perspective. It, it was it was great. Gentlemen, I'm going to change the topic now. Go. I want you to imagine that you're. I don't know, like a geologist or something, and you're walking along some really interesting dunes. It sounds awesome. In a place called Mount Baldy. I'm sorry, Mount Baldy. You hear scream. Wait, wait, wait. You hear screaming. (laughs) And you look over. What was the name of the mountain again? Mount Baldy. Mount Baldy. Okay. All right. Got it. Got it. And we hear screams. You hear screaming and you go run over and these two parents, these parents are pointing frantically to the ground. This woman's like, my little boy, my little boy, my little boy. And there you see a hole, a six foot hole in the ground. And the child's inside of there struggling to get out. Right. Does it look like it was a sinkhole or how to imagine that? Like, uh, I mean, would it appear that the hole was there to begin with or did it look like it just collapsed underneath him or did it look like he fell into an existing hole? So the problem is, is that it looked like this hole wasn't there one day that now it was. And all of a sudden you're starting to see other holes sprout up over the sandy dunes. Dude, I smell a summer blockbuster coming. Hole attack. Yeah. So sporadically, these holes are appearing, and geologists have no idea what's happening. And one of them's already swallowed a child, which they did rescue after a very lengthy ordeal. Oh my god! So they these are just they're they're randomly appearing 
sinkholes and, and they remain like they don't like refill up or anything right there's just now it's just dotted like the, the the landscape is pockmarked with these holes um i did not say that okay um <laughs> but, <laughs> there's there's more than one though the holes plural. Yeah, the whole a hole, a hole appears somebody falls into it or eventually it collapses onto itself as as far as i understand okay and so and this is a case where a child's walking along and just gets sucked into a hole I mean, I guess if I'm a geologist, uh, I'm going to figure that there are some kind of structures underneath Mount Baldy that we were unaware of. I'd, I'd try to, I don't know, remember that scene from the beginning of uh, uh, Jurassic Park? We'll put some kind of thump and listen to echoes and be like, are you hollow, Mount Baldy? I'll ask, I'll ask the mountain politely whether or not it's hollow. So oh, yeah, the uh, NPR headline, baffling, boy swallowing holes closer than he had to do. Oh my God! Mount Baldy, stop swallowing these boys. I'm sorry. It's just the way I was made. Baldy, I don't understand it. I've just been here so long, and I just want to swallow them up. All these boys. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you a photo of this. They're hollow inside. <laughs> oh, you just think it. They all say I'm hollow. They say I need to pray the, these holes away. <laughs> all I'm gonna say is I'm sending you a photo. Uh, Sarlacc pit, anybody? All right, hold on. Let me go ahead and pop this open. Uh, let's take a look at your boy swallowing hole. Oh, uh, oh my God, it does look exactly <laughs> like a Sarlacc pit. That's amazing. Man, it is only missing a stumbling half-blind Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, and it's not like having a jetpack would help you, as we know from Boba Fett. So, by, exactly. yeah, by the way, uh, when you first described it, I was picturing everything being very rocky, but this is very sandy on top, which makes it make a little more sense why it would be difficult to, uh, you know, that's uh, who knows what's going underneath all them shifting sands. Them mountains, they're always changing. You can't tell. Uh, that's, that's crazy. So, like, and, and nobody knows why these things are happening. Nope, science has betrayed us. <laughs> there you go. Science is invalid. QED. <laughs> Baffling boy swallowing holes. <laughs> oh, jeez. That is a... That's one hell of a headline, it's man. It's money in the bank, man. <laughs> Congratulations, Lindsay Smith. You know how to, how to write yourself a headline. Boy swallowing holes. Is it... Because uh, the the only when you mention sinkholes, the only other thing that pops to my mind is that one photo from I guess South America where there was uh, it was that perfectly round, super deep sinkhole that popped up in the middle of some I don't know I want to say like but that was that was in like like a metropolitan area like, yeah you know, yeah you know cracked concrete and stuff like that that everything had kind of fell, fallen into this is like I mean this is almost I mean you know talk about a a like a terrifying 127 hours esque scenario where you're just traipsing through Mount Baldy. And next thing you know, you're sucked under by this Sarlacc pit and your last thoughts are, you know, the, the choking out on sand while nobody comes to rescue you. There was a, you know what this makes me think of is I was listening to, I want to say it was a 99% invisible story talking about how in the 1940s through seventies, you would just like a common plot device in just about every long running series ever was quicksand. Like that would just showed up over and over and over again. And nowadays nobody ever uses the quicksand plot device. And the, and the question is why from that? And, uh, and one of the theories was that uh, quicksand was in the cultural milieu. It was, it was very popular because of the existence of things like the Vietnam war and the, and the reference to it being a quagmire. And, and we were afraid of, of, Basically, as a monster, uh, quicksand was just enough of a metaphor to the very real life things that Americans were afraid of. And now we're on to different things. I guess, you know, whatever the the... quicksand, though, like, I mean, I remember quicksand in like Looney Tunes. I mean, like it was it was a very it was a very cartoon conceit that that certainly predated the the Vietnam War. Yes. A lot of those like Merry Melody stuff from the 50s. It was also like. Well, a lot of TV and stuff was done in the 60s and 70s. It was just most of it was just all backlot stuff. And to do, you know, you go over to Universal or whatever and they have the lagoon, you know, to do the quicksand setup was a very easy sort of thing to do. Yeah. Uh, well, I wish I could remember all the details on the theory of it, but, mm-hmm. but I, I thought it was a great story. I think it's only 10 minutes long if you want to listen. Mm-hmm. To it. I'm not going to try to make their case because I don't remember enough details. It, but it's I, also like such a 
a specific problem for the idea of, of a, a adventure and a, a ex, like expansion. It almost has like that, like like British colonialism, like you know, ripping yarn kind of uh, feeling to it. That there are these strange lands that we are exploring. Well, Crystal or, or, Skull had quicksand, uh, or even yes, that uh, it, it was a. How, how was that movie? <laughs> I don't know. Just... <laughs> I blocked it out of my memory. Um, the uh, uh, I think another idea of it is it's one of the monsters that could be anywhere. Like you know, you can yeah. write it into just about any setting, whether it whether it actually happens there or not. Uh, and and yeah, it was you know it's 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 a rare element of like you're just out there. It, it's 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 a terrifying idea because so many of the stories that we kind of hear from it are isolating stories where you are far from home you're far from communication you know it's a it's a great way to separate characters from each other and put them into instantly perilous situations like it is listen as as a as a conceit it is dramatically robust quicksand well but i guess that's the amazing thing is why has that um totally dropped off like now and and they 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 talk to these folks uh you know who work in the the writer rooms and uh and from time to time people say like for example in all of lost they never once did a quicksand scene because every time they brought it up there everyone was like eh, i don't know quicksand eh. like there's something about quicksand that's just out now that uh that wasn't the case you know i'm trying to find this 99 percent invisible story maybe it was a uh Radio Lab one instead. Yeah, but I'm trying because like so it was in it was in like Crystal Skull. I think they had like a quicksand scene in Snow White and the Huntsman. Um, but it, oh no, it was Radio Lab. It was not 99 yeah. percent invisible. October 10th, 2013. Um, Radio Lab is the one you want to watch. Uh, I I want to say like it went from hundreds. Uh, here we go. Percentage of movies with quicksand. 1900s through 1930s is about uh, I don't know a quarter of a percent. From the 1950s, it goes up to 1% of all movies, of all movies, 1% of all movies had quicksand in it. In the 1960s, it goes to 2.5% of all movies have quicksand, and then it goes down. We're now in the 2000s uh, under a half percent again. So it's like there's definitely an in and an out time, and it is, I guess, right around that, that Vietnam War time. Yeah, but I mean... Yeah. Or the run-up to, to, to certainly the Cold War. I, I think that... I, again, I, I'm just like thinking here, like you know, how many recent movies have it? I think that it certainly became. It, it can be something as simple as Universal has. Oh, we got the quicksand thing, and like, oh, we'll use that. And then once it hits this peak where it's used in that many movies, it becomes this sort of cliche. But like, I'm yeah. just trying to think of. You know, I'm just I'm off the top of my head. I can think of like they were like in a, one of like the I think the third Transformers movie. There was like a quicksand element to it. You know, when they're doing the desert attacks. And so Snow White the Huntsman, Crystal Skull, it's still around. It's well, yeah, not yeah, yeah. But, but certainly, at, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's way less popular. And- yeah, but, like, you don't, get, you don't get the Japanese soldier hiding in the, uh, you know, the jungle as much storyline, which you would get in Gilligan's Island and other shows. There, there was, like, the way writer's rooms work and the way they would use these tropes that would keep coming up over and over again, it had more to do with just... You know, look at like plot lines that got shared between Brady Bunch and, uh, you know, uh, other shows that came after, other like, you know, sitcoms that came after, you know, different strokes and stuff. You'd have the same storyline used from one show to the next because like it was pedophile the the bicycle right. shop owners just showing up and all of <laughs> that, too. <laughs> yeah. <there> was... <laughs> yeah, I would imagine that that certain things just get played out like that. And you had, and you had, like you know, after World War II, there was like a, you know, you had the kind of the rise of tiki culture because there was an interest in things Polynesian, you know, that became kind of a fascinating thing about oh, the Pacific Islands are interesting, and then because you had people coming back there and experience, then the rise of tiki shirts, floral things like that, and that was kind of a plot line that got used a lot, and then it became cliche. Yeah, but, you know, there's a, have you seen this website that, that has like. Uh, unreasonable correlations or whatever unreasonable um, correlations. oh my god it, it shows you correlation and co- uh, i gotta find this for you um i'm gonna type, basically just type in weird correlations yeah see if that takes me uh correlated.org maybe correlated.org sub- uncovers surprising connections between seemingly unrelated things and you can help with a daily on daily poll uh correlation 1101 people are attracted to buddhism um, 
people. In- no, it's not it. Let me. Find okay, it. all right. Um, let me. This is because this is fascinating. So what they do is that they just pull up all these different data sets, and we'll show you just really ridiculous things that are not connected, but you can uh, see them. So let me go through here. Um, Why did I not save this? <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you what. While you're looking that up, why don't we re- revisit that, and maybe we could go ahead and start on picks in the meantime? Certainly. Uh, Brian, what do you got? Ah, oh, man. You know what? It's the perfect time for everybody to dive in. Uh, my pick is a, is a, it's a, it's a, it's a sci-fi juggernaut. It... Uh, I got to admit, I kind of hated it at first. Felt like hitting myself in the head with a sledgehammer, and then uh, and uh, then the second one is like, all right, well, I kind of like it, but there's no way my wife will tolerate this at ever. Uh, and by the third episode, I was all the way hooked, and I plowed through all the rest of Adult Swim's Rick and Morty, which, by the way, Rick and Morty season I one. Dianetics. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Dianetics. <laughs> If you type in Rick and Morty right now, it should take you to um, – there we go. Uh, uh, the Adult Swim say – yeah, video.adultswim.com slash Rick and Morty. And uh, you can see all of season one available. Uh, the only downside is you have to watch the same Coke ad a million times unless you have like an uh, uh, Adblock Pro. But man, oh, man, it's uh, – uh, Co-created by Dan Harmon, the guy who created Community and does the Harmon Town podcast. Uh, and it got so much better for me because the main characters, you know, you got, you got a very Doc Brown looking guy, uh, but he's drunk all the time and constantly belching while he's talking. And he's got like a little spittle on his, his thing. And the show, he got so much easier for me to watch when I found out that the guy who plays him is doing an impression of Dan Harmon. And once you hear it, you can't not hear it. And, uh, man, is it good. That's all I want to say. That's awesome. No, I really, I want to, uh, I want to, I want to watch that. Uh, and now it's, uh, Dan Harmon's only show on television. Yeah, dude. Wait, wait, I guess that news came out this week. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, you know, it's one of those things where like, I know I've never really, I've watched like half, the first season of uh, um, oh Jesus! I just got I just found uh, Andrew's just linked us to his his correlation and causation uh, you know experiment. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, I mean I I always oh I always my god! Stuff <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take a look at some correlations here. Uh, <laughs> tracking almost identically, I would say every bit as precise as CO two and global temperature <laughs> is. U.S. spending on science, space, and technology correlating with suicides by hanging, strangulation, and suffocation. Oh my God, man! I feel like this is—I feel like this is the site that randomly generates stuff that, like, we just need to keep Malcolm Gladwell away from. Yeah, like <laughs> he's like, these are all my next books. Exactly. No, this is like <laughs> all of these are Malcolm Gladwell essays. It's like. You know, the Hubble telescope floating through space and bringing us to parts unknown. Uh, but what you would not know is that it was really started by notching the belt that was, you know, killing this person in Iowa. The age yep. of Miss America correlates with murders by steam, hot vapors, and hot objects. <laughs> murders, by the way. Not deaths, murders. <laughs> Number of people who drowned by falling into a swimming pool correlates with number of films Nicolas Cage appeared in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> number of people who died by becoming tangled in their bed sheets correlates with total revenue generated by skiing facilities. <laughs> Coincidence? <laughs> Look at the numbers, Your Honor. I believe it speaks for itself. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow. Uh, that is... Amazing. This is great. Okay, and it's Tyler Vigen, T-Y-L-E-R-V-I-G-E-N. Yeah. Per capita consumption of mozzarella cheese. <laughs> civil correlates with civil engineering doctorates awarded. <laughs> <laughs> People who drowned after falling out of a fishing boat correlates with the marriage rate in Kentucky. These are great. <laughs> Total number of political action committees correlates with people who died by falling out of their wheelchair. <laughs> people electrocuted by power lines correlates with the marriage rate in Alabama. <laughs> oh, my God. The divorce rate in Mississippi exactly tracks to murders by bodily force. 
Oh, so the best night ever. <laughs> we want to know. <laughs> I'll tell you, no one else is bringing you these figures, everybody. This is a weird thing. This is why we're important. <laughs> All right. So I'm sorry. What was it? What's your pick, Justin? Holy smokes. Um, I'll tell you what. I have been so out of it over the past two weeks. I am even behind on my favorites. Uh, so I have not really listened or watched anything. So I will go back to something that I was very much into before I left, which is Silicon Valley on uh, HBO. I very much enjoyed the show. Uh, it, it is a, a outsized caricature of uh, the kind of the startup culture. Uh, but I think it is in true Mike Judge fashion, uh, even if he tends to get a bit preachy in his writing, uh, it, it's never not without these kind of uh, very relatable elements that you can say like, oh, that's really, really funny. And I've noticed that, especially for people like us who have followed, you know, if you read sites like TechCrunch or Recode and stuff like that, this is very much about that media cycle and, and the hype cycle and kind of how the egos rise and fall. Uh, very good. I enjoy it. I think the actors are great. And uh, you should check it out. Silicon Valley on HBO. I'll throw out there. I think it, it's. I think it's my favorite thing that Mike Judge has done. Wow! Right on. Uh, yeah, I've always liked I think, him. I mean, I like Beavis and Butthead, but I wasn't always big on some of the other stuff. But I, this is. Oh, I, dude! I, like I, I'm too. I'm too much in Texas to not deeply love King of the Hill. But uh, yeah. but yes. Yes. Um, my pick, gentlemen. So uh, I was a little under the weather this week and uh, looking for something to watch to entertain myself with and. You know, did that thing where you start going through uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime, just looking for something. And I finally caught up with a TV series that I'd sort of dismissed when it first came out. And then I said, you know what? You know, the ratings, you know, some people seem to really dig us. Let me see what's into it. And let me just give it a shot. And I watched Defiance, which was the, the sci-fi channel series. This is the one that was tied in with like the MMO, right? They were going to make right. a video game component to it? Yeah, and the premise is that aliens came to visit Earth, and because they thought Earth was wasn't you know, there were no intelligent life there, because five thousand years ago, you know, they didn't see any signals. By the time they left, they show up here, and and it jumps right into this. By the way, it just it jumps right into sort of the present day, where it's you know forty fifty years from now, and what's happened is that basically all of these big alien spaceships, there was some sort of cataclysm that came crashing down on Earth. Earth got accidentally terraformed. And so our planet is radically different with alien life all around it. And the action centers around the town of Defiance, which is what used to be St. Louis. And it's very much a frontier town trying to avoid becoming part of the bigger Earth empire, which is not exactly benign. And there's multiple alien races. And the best way I could describe it is it's, it's Deadwood sci-fi. You know, it's Deadwood set in a sci-fi universe. And I... Uh, I watched all 13 episodes of it, and I enjoyed it. I, yeah, I think that it certainly suffers from some of the, the sci-fi tropes of the Chosen One and the Magical Forces, which is when it's, it's weakest, you know, which, which you know, often many, many, many times in science fiction, people feel they've got to have the Messiah or the, the Chosen One kind of storyline, which is, it's, to me, it's just, it's cliche. Yeah, they, it's yeah, they need to do more quicksand stories instead. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm all for that. Um, but, I mean, but that's not a major part. You know, when it's just dealing with the day to day of how these people function and what their world is like, it's very interesting. And it's coming back next month for another uh, 12 episodes. Oh, so. see, okay. Now, and that is, you, you know, you mentioned Deadwood. I loved, I got through almost all the first season of Deadwood. And then I heard that, uh, that they were cutting it off mid season three. And like that bummed me out so much knowing that it was just going to be abruptly chopped that I, I actually never even finished Deadwood, even though I hear it's all really great. But to know that Defiance is still going to stay alive, I feel okay about starting it. I, I feel like even if that does turn out to be the case later, it won't be hanging over me as I, as I, as I watch. Yeah, that's the, you know, a lot of times you get science fiction series that pop up on Netflix or Amazon Prime and they're like, yeah, this, this made it. 12 episodes and they ended on this big huge cliffhanger and I don't really want to get into it because if it didn't survive then there's probably a reason for it right um, I, I will say about Deadwood Deadwood uh, ends after the third season and they were planning on doing another one uh, but 
it uh, it does. It, it, it they were never really big on cliffhangers in Deadwood. So you know there are like elements that like are that would that by the end of the season you know would change the dynamics of the next season. But uh, the the final episode of Deadwood kind of serves fairly well as a as a series finale. Right on. Right on. So anyhow, that's my pick. Defiance. Right now, you can watch, if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch all of them for free. Hell yeah. Oh yeah, and I guess if 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 Bonnie was hanging around, she would mention Orphan Black, which she's been watching on Amazon Prime as well, which I haven't watched yet. So, yeah, but I hear it's I quite good. I've heard nothing but great things about Orphan Black, and at this point, I feel so bad about the fact that I hated it with uh, the the passion of a thousand sons because the was uh, BBC America was so excited about it, and as it turns out, justifiably so, that when they did the debut of Doctor Who, it, there was a countdown, a little countdown bug on like on screen counting down to the premiere of Orphan Black over top of the se- the season premiere of, of Doctor Who and I was just very I just resented it like to my core that the BBC America was so but I mean it turns out that they were excited about it for reasons. Everybody loves it. Yeah. Still that's a valid reason to be upset. <laughs> yeah. I was very annoyed with BBC America. That and their overly aggressive uh, British voiceover guy when he does very but they just voiceover reads for benign products like this episode of Doctor Who is brought to you by Starbucks Caramel Macchiatos made with you by heart and hand you just, you just in your heart you just like, see him like sharpening a butcher blade on his leg like just pig's blood pooling by his oh, feet God, just got bits of, of sinew in his, his pushy it's, British beard it was a one legged orphan cowering behind him as he says his eye is just like bulging out of his head he wants to hear about Starbucks again brought to you by Huggies the security mom's disease. <laughs> well, gentlemen, it's been weary. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll accept it. Normally we'd give you a hard time, but I'm going to accept it's been weary. 